The Bureau of Land Management, part of the Interior Department, famously relocated from Washington to Grand Junction, Colorado in 2019. It hasn't gone smoothly. The agency is rife with vacancies because many people didn't want to move. The Government Accountability Office now has several recommendations for how BLM can manage back to normal. Here with more, GAO's Director of Natural Resources and Environment Issues, Frank Rusco. Mr. Rusco, good to have you back. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And give us the numbers here, because it looks like they had many, many vacancies in the BLM, still do, but they have trouble tracking them. So what did you find top line here? Yeah, at the highest level, in the last administration, at the beginning of the administration in 2017, they put a hiring freeze on basically all the executive branch agencies and Interior was one of those. And then from that point until July 2019, when they sort of announced we're going to move to Grand Junction, they had already lost about 135 of headquarters staff. And that's out of a total of just over 500. So they'd already lost a significant amount of their staff and they didn't replace them because of after the hiring freeze, they also imposed on Interior a requirement that any new hire had to be approved at the highest level. And they just didn't approve very many. So they already had a lot of vacancies. Then what happened is they announced this move and a large number of other people left in between the time when they announced the move and and when the move actually occurred. A lot of experienced staff left headquarters to work elsewhere in D.C. because they didn't want to move out to Grand Junction. And that must have had some effect on the functioning of the agency with more than 25 percent of the people simply not there. You know, in the end, only about a quarter of the people that that, of the positions that were still there that were required to move actually did. So three quarters of the people did not take that offer to move either to Grand Junction or the other state offices. One of the results of that was that a lot of very experienced people left. And, you know, you just can't lose a lot of it would be like losing, you know, your company and and you lost, you know, three quarters of your executives and, you know, you're trying to, uh, you know, run your company, but you've lost a lot of sort of the knowledge of how things run. And that's one of the things that happened. Now, we're talking about 500, but that's only the headquarters staff, because as you point out in the report, BLM actually has almost 9,000 full-time employees. So what happened to the rest of them? Were they not led well or were they lacking leadership? Well, what happened was, as you mentioned, headquarters was a small part of the agency. You know, headquarters basically, you know, works in D.C. They work with Congress. They work with the Office of Management and Budget. They're basically a policymaking and regulatory uh, and direction of the agency, high level direction of the agency. So in losing a lot of those people, you lost a lot of that expertise. And then moving the other ones out away from D.C., they are not in the places where they might be coordinating with other agencies or talking to Congress and, you know, on a sort of short turnaround. Oh, yeah. Can you come up and talk to us about you know this program or that program? But then when they lost a lot of that expertise, they basically filled those positions with temporary details from other places. Sometimes those detailees would keep their other responsibilities and then try to pick up some of the slack. And everyone we talked to in in BLM basically said that the increased use of detailees caused a lack of continuity. And sometimes you lost uh, expertise that it'll take a while to build back up. 
We're speaking with Frank Rusco. He is the GAO's Director of Natural Resources and Environment Issues. So it's really not the distance to Grand Junction that's the issue, because we learned in the mass teleworking of the last 18 months how productive government can be when people aren't in person. It was really the loss of personnel that was the issue here, essentially. That was the main thing. And the fact that with the hiring freeze, they had already had a bunch of vacancies and then the move caused a lot more vacancies. And with that, they lost a lot of, you know, just the kind of skills that you need to run the agency efficiently. And your recommendations, though, center partly on the need to be able to track vacancies and have a system for understanding your vacancies, which even as they had a lot of them, they had trouble tracking. So what are your top line recommendations here? You know, we found that Interior couldn't sort of tell us on a position-by-position basis, you know, is this run by a detailee or someone who's been in the position for a long time because they're not really tracking those kinds of moves. And obviously they should be because, you know, you want to know where are the people that understand how to run the agency and where are people that maybe need some extra help. So we recommended that they start tracking those vacancies. But at a higher level, Interior doesn't have what we call a strategic workforce plan. And what we mean by that is, you know, you want to go through and you figure out, like, what skills do I need in what positions and in what part of the organization? And then what do I have? And then make a plan to fill the gap. And after the move, Interior had a lot of gaps in BLM, but they don't have a strategic plan yet to, to sort of look at that on a position-by-position basis and say, where do I need the skills? How do I get them? Yes, in the sense that this issue predated even the Trump administration move, I think is shown by one of the charts in the report that there were, you know, a hundred and some vacancies at headquarters at the time of the announcement of the relocation. And then it rose dramatically. So they had this problem pre-existing. Right. The last administration put in a hiring freeze at the beginning. And then basically, as people either left, you know, through the natural attrition or decided they wanted to work somewhere else, they weren't replaced. And so by the time the move was uh, announced, there already, as you said, there's about 135 people that were already missing. (laughs) And is there another element to this, the fact that the Trump administration changed BLM policy from a strategic standpoint, as it did with many other organs of government, pretty dramatically from the administration before that. So could that have exacerbated things? And maybe the people that were there, the legacy senior people said, you know what, I don't want this relocation in the first place. I'm just going to leave. And was there an element of maybe I'll show you or sabotage to the idea of moving to Grand Junction, do you think? Well, you know, I'm not sure I can comment on that. I I will say that during the course of administration, as you know, GAO works to audit federal agencies and make sure they're working efficiently. And we are often in touch with senior level officials at the agencies. And in BLM, there was a real drop in morale in general, and this predated the move. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people left just because of that. And now the Biden administration has announced that BLM headquarters will relocate back to Washington. So are you hopeful that we'll get maybe some of those older people to come back and maybe they can start bringing down this vacancy level? Yes, it could. You know, I think in some ways it's still going to be difficult. BLM still has about 100 vacancies even today. And in part, I think that's because the new administration has wanted to sort of decide what they're going to do with headquarters before they hire people. But On the other hand, you know, you lost people, they went to other jobs. Will they come back? I don't know. It remains to be seen. 
I guess you have to check out Grand Junction, though, before you can pass judgment on it. It's probably a lovely place to live. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a very nice place to live. But I think if you're talking about moving a whole body of people from a city like Washington, D.C., they may have family ties. They may have kids in school. Who knows what? But, you know, that's a big ask. It's from a big city to a fairly small place. Yeah, tough one. Frank Rusco is director of natural resources and environment issues at the Government Accountability Office. Thanks so much. You bet. My pleasure. We'll post this interview along with a link to his report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. 
and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> um, 
During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.